Good morning to you, Providence. I hope you are well. My name's Dave, one of the pastors here, and I have the joy of teaching you this morning. Our lead pastor, Brian, is with his family down uh, in Georgia, uh, slinging some mud on some four-wheelers, so hopefully he makes it back uh, next week. But uh, we are uh, excited to, to be able to look at this uh, series on prayer and, and walk through that. If you're uh, visiting this live stream, we say good morning to you, but if you're our guest uh, with us, uh, it is so good to to have you in church family. It's great to, to see you. I hope and trust you had a good Christmas with the kids and family and maybe the craziness. Uh, I know my, my family and I, we had a, had a blast. We were praising God um, for many things. One in particular was uh, honey-baked ham. <laughs> it's just amazing how uh, God ordained and created a pig to be cooked and then glazed with honey. <laughs> That's just the the kindness of God in so many ways. And so we praise him for that. But here's what we're going to do. No, no uh, greater way really to start a new year than we're looking at a biblical perspective on prayer. And, and many of you, uh, including our staff, our team, have been praying uh, really um, like crazy for the last year and a half. God um, has, has moved us to a vision of three years. We're a year and a half into that called plant. And, and a part of that vision is uh, we want to show you um, is threefold, right? Where we look, have been looking at to plant our lives in the church. And the idea there is to, to be encouraging um, us to, to not just be um, spectators, but to be participants and, and on mission with each other and encouraging one another and, and doing life with each other. And being a part of a life group, a smaller group than this room where we could pray for each other and get to know each other and really spur and stir one another toward loving good deeds, as the book of Hebrews says. We also talked about planting the gospel in the city where we are desiring to, to take uh, everyday conversations and, and turn those to spiritual conversations that would lead to, to gospel conversations where we could see as 69 people moved to the uh, city uh, each day. Uh, people are coming. God's uh, raised up by his kindness and grace this city uh, to be one of influence, even worldwide. And, and for us to be intentional, to be able to plant seeds of the gospel and see maybe even a thousand of you watch someone come to faith and trust in Christ. And what a joy that would be to be able to experience that. We're praying that. We're depending on God for that. And the last one is to plant churches in the world. We have nine church plant partnerships uh, in North America where God's doing amazing things in just an hour and a half flight up north to Toronto. Seven million people in that city with less than 2% of those know Christ. We've got church plant partnerships um, globally speaking with um, many pastors that are, are in hard areas of the world that we're supporting and encouraging. And even this year, one of our own staff, the Lord moved in his heart to be able to, he and his wife, his family, and another family from our church are moving in six months to London, England, a city of 11 million people with less than 2% of those who know Christ, to plant a church, to get this good news of Christ to as many people as possible. And all of these right things, these aspirations that we have in, in some degree, um, you, you think maybe would they be pulled off by the skill of man? And, and we say, no, it's not going to happen unless the Spirit of God works, unless the Spirit of God makes this happen. And so we're depending on him. We're praying to him. We want to be a people marked 
by not talking just about God, but talking to God. And that's our desire. And so we're excited to see what the next year and a half of this vision would look like as we continue to, to pray and walk through what God's doing, not only in us and to us, but also through us. And so with that said, let's pray and talk to him now before we read our text and unpack this morning's sermon, okay? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to, in a, another way, to call on you, to depend on you, to lean into you, to open your word and have your word open us in a sense and to be able to read it and have it to read us and to be able to transform us, not inform us, but to transform us, God, to be more like your son. So Lord, would you do a great work through this text, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you don't have a Bible, I wanna encourage you. Um, you can ha- take one There's in the seats in front of you. You can ha- have that as a gift from us. Maybe you're new to Christianity or exploring Christianity and um, you don't have a Bible, so take that as a gift. We're gonna be on, in that Bible under the seat on page 811. And um, in your Bible, probably a different page, Matthew chapter six. So Matthew chapter six. And again, if you're new to studying the Bible, <clears throat> you'll see a larger number. That's your chapter And if you scroll down to the smaller number, five, that will be where we'll read today in our verse. And the context here is Jesus has started his ministry. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you've heard of that. This is a a portion of that. It runs from chapters five to seven. But in chapter six, he he teaches uh, his disciples. He's on a mountainside close to the Sea of Galilee, and, and and he's teaching them. He's walking with them how to pray. And this is what he says. Verse five, this is the word of God. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Well, this morning, I want to show us three simple truths about God and prayer. And the first one is this, is this, it's God is concerned with how we pray. God is concerned with how we pray. So Jesus, as he's teaching, right, before he tells us to pray like this, he tells us how not to pray. And he does this because he knows the human heart. He knows the human heart is inclined to make much of itself and even use spiritual things to draw attention to oneself. In one sense, we are consumed with ourselves. And he knows this. And so from verses five through eight, he walks through. You must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand. They love to pray and and to be seen at the street corners. And he's walking through this, right? Many of us this past week have probably 
um, taking Christmas photos, which I know everybody loves, right? We gather at the family when you go from one place to another and you do it before you eat because after you eat, man, you're gone, right? The shirt tail comes out, the sweats are on, but, but everybody shows up looking all good. And, and what happens is when you get that, when everybody, like the whole family in front of the tree, right? In front of the fireplace, outside, wherever it's at, and you've got everybody there, right? And then you say go and either a neighbor's come over to take it or you've got a long selfie stick or, or something's happening, right? And, and you take that picture and then everybody runs to the phone, right? To pull up the picture to not see how good the family looks. That's not what you're doing, is it? No, where do your eyes go on the picture? Your eyes go directly to yourself, right? And you start critiquing yourself. Oh man, my hair wasn't looking good. Can we do that again? Everybody, let's get back together one more time, right? The, the, the shirt's messed up. The, right? the, you don't like the smile. Right? You're looking at your smile and you don't like the way you smiled. And so let's do that again, right? And what that tells us, right? What, what that shows evidence in our heart that we're consumed with ourselves. We're consumed with how we look. We're consumed with us as, as opposed to being concerned with God. Luke chapter 22 says it like this. Now listen, the context of this verse is amazing because Jesus is walking with his disciples and as he's walking with them, um, it's come to the point of Passover. So he's, he's taking Passover, this amazing celebration of God's deliverance from Egypt, right? He's, he's, he's removed, he led the people out. He used a man named Moses to do it, but he led them out of this, this bondage, which was a, really a reflection of the bondage of sin that we're in. It was pointing to a greater rescue. But in this Passover, they're celebrating it. They're there in, in Israel. And as they, as they come on this particular night, Jesus, as he, he takes the bread, he blesses it. He takes the cup, he blesses it. And he tells them, he says, this, this Passover meal, this is actually pointing to me the Passover lamb. That it's, it's about me. And it's in that context that Luke 22 then says they've, they've, had, they've taken the cup, they've taken the bread, that it's the night he's going to be arrested, betrayed, crucified within 12 hours. And this is what happens. Now, there, also, there was also a dispute among them, the disciples that were with them at the Passover table, as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Are you kidding? Three years walking with the Savior? The Savior has just done the Passover meal with his boys. He's, t- he's told them what's going to come. He's blessed it. He's prayed. And it's at that table that this is in their heart, right? And it's in this place, right, that this can be in our heart. This could be in our heart where we desire to be the greatest. God, he wants our prayers to not be hypocritical, but heartfelt. They, they loved, the, many of these religious leaders of the time, they were not even Christians. They weren't following Jesus. They loved the praise of man more than the praise of, of God and his approval on them. They wanted the approval of man. And, and it's shown in verse five. In verse five, it says specifically that they do these things so that they may be seen by others. In verse seven, it says that they use these empty phrases and these lot of words. And he didn't want us to use a lot of words that are meaningless. He wants us to use words that mean a lot. You're praying to the creator of the universe. John 12, 43, it says, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. Listen, think about this for just a minute. 
if you and I were as concerned over God and praying to God and being dependent on him and talking to him, this is what prayer is. As with our status on social media, of who follows us, who, who likes our post, right? I think, I think maybe the third great spiritual awakening could take place. If you think with me for just a moment how narcissistic our culture is, right? And the social media phenomenon that's impacting and having a, a, a staggering impact on the world at large, right? Of how consumed you and I are with these things and what people think about what we're doing, right? It's showing up in London. As you know, some of, one of our pastor's family is moving there this year to plant a church in a city with 11 million people, less than 2% of those follow Jesus. And their parliament, their government there, right? As they have certain offices of, of employment there, they're called, uh, they use the word minister, then it has nothing to do with religious things. It's just called minister of finance, minister of commerce, uh, the prime minister, hello, right? They, they use this word, but, it, but it's not associated with following Jesus. And this particular year, this past year, because of the depression that is rising at a staggering rate, that's attributed mostly to the use of smartphones, that they have hired and employed a person called a minister of loneliness in their city to try to handle the narcissistic movement of being so consumed with self. Listen, the more you want public praise, the emptier your soul will be. The more you crave it, you'll fill it up with anything. And look, the more you privately, listen, the more you privately encounter the living God in prayer for desire, right? This desire for public approval will lessen. It will loosen its grip on your heart. The more private encounter with the living God, right? The the more this, this constant crave for approval from mankind will lessen. It will loosen its grip on you. This is what the gospel does. The gospel frees you. Think about this, right? If you're more concerned with having a like on something that you post rather than being loved by God, right? We probably need to reorient those things. We need to reorder those things. The gospel is the good news of Christ that he loves you, that even in a state of sin, he pursued you, he rescued you. He's offered redemption through his son, And because of this good news, right, when you apply that to your heart, not only for salvation, but for transformation and walking, the things of the world that so easily grip and entangle us will loosen its grip. One pastor and theologian up in Minnesota, he's retired recently and just writing now, his name's John Piper. He says this, he says, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. (laughs) Amen. Was not from a lack of time. And so listen, God's concerned. Yes, he's concerned with how we pray. So let's pray to pursue God and not the praise of man. So he's concerned, yes. But secondly, secondly, I want you to see that he's compassionate. 
that verse nine, he's compassionate in that we can call him, right, our father when we pray. God, God is compassionate. He shows this compassion to us in that we can call him our father when we pray. No other religion in the world can address the almighty God of the universe as father. And notice what it says. Not only father, it says our father. This is family language. This is what God does. He puts you in a family with one another where we are brothers and sisters in Christ and we can call him our father. Romans chapter eight says it like this. Romans chapter eight, verse 14 says, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, and by him, we cry, Abba, Father, Father. Listen, I love being a dad of four kids. And back in the day when they were a little younger, I actually run, jump to them now, right? They've kind of grown up. Um, But back in the day when they were younger and I would come home, I love the fact that they would come to me. They would just come and they would just just leap into my arms. I would throw them up, hit the ceiling. Um, it was awesome, right? And, and bring them down, comfort them a little bit, um, you know? But it's, a, it's amazing that this is how God, in a sense, wants us to come to him as a child, that we would pray to him like a child. And why that's so hard is because the older you get, it's, it's, it's more independent you become, unless you think you need God. And this is why Jesus would actually use specific texts not to try to explain that salvation it was for, for babies or young people or young children. He was actually using the posture of how children come and how they're dependent as a way that adults should come to God and dependence and trust. He says in Matthew chapter 18, he says it like this, truly, truly I tell you, Unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This picture of a, of a son, I want to show you of a, a son jumping into a dad's arms, right? This is, this is the picture that, that, that as, as adults, as young people, as older people, that God wants from us in a sense to come to him. Right to leap to him, to to, to not hold back to, at, at any time to leap, looking at this God who says we can call him Father, and how much how much more of a privilege is it not Providence this morning that we could call him Father, knowing and have access to him, knowing that we were once enemies with him, we were born children of God, we were born sinners, right, and we were adopted. He brought us into the family. Right? We rebelled. He made a promise at the beginning of the book. He made a promise someone would come, and this person has come. Jesus, we've been celebrating in the last month this advent, this coming of the Lord Jesus, right? And he came not to just live, but he came to die for our sins in our place. What great grace, right? This person, Jesus, has come. He's done this. He, he, he died on a cross. God poured out his wrath upon him. He absorbed all the wrath of God's holiness. And then he was buried. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead victoriously to vindicate the truth that he was the son of God and that he can forgive sins. Listen, my, my kids, right? They can, 
They can call on me anytime. They, they have full access at any time. And the reason, the reason being, it's because they were born of me. Right? John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So my children, because they're born of me, they have a right when it's 3 a.m. in the morning in the storm, like when they were little, right? They don't do it now. One of them does. But, but when, when the storm, right? When the storm comes and the thunder and the lightning, I mean, 3 a.m., they're all piling up on top of me. Right? They want to be close to dad. They, there, was, there was something about being closer to dad, not just in the house with dad, but talking to dad. That brought great comfort. They have full access to me at 3 a.m. Look, your, your children don't have access to, I'm not opening the door at 3 a.m. If your children come knock on the door, right? I love your children, but they're not mine, <laughs> right? No, but when God, when you, when you come to God and you've trusted Christ, and you've placed your faith in him, you become a child of God, adopted. And you have, watch this, you have full access to God. Once an enemy, now a child, to call him father. Oh, listen, listen. Many, many view God as one who is, because maybe there's, there's been a pass of, some history with a dad, right? And listen, don't look at God as father through the lens of your experience. Look at, at God as father through the lens of the scripture. Allow the scriptures to paint this picture for you. Not maybe a home that was dysfunctional with a father that wasn't there, that didn't, you didn't have access to, right? Many, many view God uh, in, in, in this particular way, right? There's a, there's a th- clip I wanna show you this morning of a professor in South Korea who is doing a live interview with BBC, right? And his children have a surprise for him. Okay, so check this out real quick. Scandals happen all the time. The question is how do democracies respond to those scandals? Uh, and what will it mean for, uh, for the wider region? I think one of your children has just walked in. I mean, shift, shifting, shifting sands in the region, do you think relations with the North may change? Um, I would be surprised if they do. The, um, pardon me. Pardon me. My apologies. What is this going to be for the region? My apologies. North, uh, sorry. Um, North Korea, North, uh, South Korea's policy choices on North Korea have been severely limited in the last six months. <laughs> oh my. That was a live interview with BBC, right? It didn't go well. Um, this, this professor is giving an account over some tension between North and South Korea. That was his wife that came in. And as I saw that, right, as I saw that, I was laying the floor laughing. Um, I also began to think how the door was supposed to be locked, right? The kids got in. And how the door of heaven is never locked, for those in Christ. It's never locked, right? When you run to him, listen, the word interrupt is not in God's vocabulary. You can't interrupt him, right? I mean, he will never do the Heisman to you, right? Did you see the guy, he gave his daughter the Heisman, right? Not right now, right? 
No one will ever slam the door. No one will, no one will take you from God. No one can snatch you from his hand. The scriptures teach. Listen, you and I have access, full access because of what Christ has done to God. We have, we have access to God. I have access to one house in North Raleigh with a key that fits. I, I do have the garage code to my in-laws. Thank God. You can get to their kitchen and their refrigerator. But I don't have a key. They won't give me a key. And they've changed the garage code a couple of times. Right? But I do have, I have one key, access to one home. Listen, listen. In Christ, in Christ, you and I have full access to God. Full access to God, to, to, to the throne of God. Revelation chapter four says, in Revelation chapter four says that the angels are singing at the throne of God. They're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is the one who has come dominion, glory, power, and all of our worship. He is worthy of. Imagine that scene That scene is constantly going on and our prayers because of Christ and the resurrection of the king and your faith and trust in him and he's a high priest who's gone ahead of us. Our prayers make it up to God's throne. Anytime. Every time. As you're walking with Christ and you are have a relationship with him, God, God says, my, my throne, listen, <laughs> his throne of grace. We, none of us in this room probably have access to any kingdoms or thrones and any governments, housing, mansions, whatever. And yet, yet we have access to God. We can talk to God. I, I, can't even, I can't even talk to the God. I don't even, I don't have access to get through the gate downtown to the governor. I don't have access. I have no access. I can't talk to him. He doesn't know my name. <laughs> I have full access to God, the creator of the universe. The sovereign one who's made all things. Listen, Hebrews chapter four says it like this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And because of this, let us then, look at this, let us then approach Approach God's throne of grace with confidence. He's not only made a way, he's not only made a way to talk to him. We don't have to fear, tremble to get there. Full access to come and approach the throne of grace without being wiped out 
because of his holiness. With confidence. So that, look, so that we may receive. Oh, look what comes flowing from this throne of God when we talk to him. Look, you and I can receive mercy. And find grace to help. Oh, I need so much help. I need so much help to help us in our time of need. Is that, is that landing on you? You can approach God. You have full access to God. Take that for granted. You, you can talk to him. What a gift. Oh God, what a gift. So let's, let's trust. Let's trust Jesus. Let's trust Jesus, the son of God, and pray to God as father. Oh, he's got concerns, yes. And he's compassionate, yes. He's compassionate. Oh, we can call him our father. But he has, watch this. He has capacity. Number three, God has capacity as he reigns in heaven to handle what we pray. Oh, he's got concerns how we pray. Yes, he has compassions and that we can call him father when we pray. But he has capacity as he reigns in heaven to handle what we pray. Notice the text, it says, our Father, where? In heaven. Now, Jesus is not trying to give us a GPS location for God. He's not dropping a pen in the text to say, this is where you find him. He's reminding us that heaven is over earth and it's a place of authority. It's a place of power, right? It's not limited by land or ocean or mountaintops. Isaiah will say that heaven is God's throne room and earth is a footstool for God. Oh, he's lifting our eyes. He's lifting our eyes to where the father reigns in sovereign authority and control and says, this is the one to whom you are praying to. And he's inviting because of his capacity, right? In the heavens, he's inviting us to come to him and bring anything and everything we have. It's never too much. It's never too much. The psalmist will say of God that God says, the world is mine and the fullness of it. Listen, listen, from the smallest of requests, from the smallest of requests to the largest of regrets and from the simple fullness of heart to the severity of feeling hopeless. God, listen to this, don't don't miss this. God has more capacity in him than we have requests in us. This is the God who we call Father. Oh, listen. Everything has a maximum capacity at some point. It's limited. This room is limited with seats, right? One of the largest planes that have recently been been made. It's the Airbus A380, right? Show you a picture of it. It's the the big one, the double-decker, right? Next to a normal-sized plane. It weighs, watch this, 
1.2 million pounds. I'm just not getting on that, okay? How does that get in the air, right? How in the world does that get in the, in the air? It can carry 81,000 gallons of fuel. It can fly a capacity of 8,000 miles. It costs $445 million. And its maximum capacity is 868 passengers. 868 passengers. Everything has a limit except the throne room of God. Except the throne room of God to talk to him. Oh, listen, think about this. The earth, right? That plane weighs 1.2 million pounds. The earth, the earth which, which is a footstool to God. <laughs> I get home at night, sometimes I'm tired. I put my foot up on a footstool, right? God, right, with this metaphorical language is, is saying, he's, he's trying to show the enormity of who he is when he says, the earth, the earth is my footstool, right? And the earth, the earth weighs, you ready? The earth weighs 1,000, not no 1,000, nope. <laughs> I'm so overwhelmed at all the zeros. I can't even say it. I'm not gonna attempt to say it. I'm gonna hurt myself, right? Let's go with 13, 17, and 22 zeros, 13 to 17 to 22 zeros, right? And scientists have figured out how to weigh it because you, you can't put that on a scale, right? It would break it. And God, God says, it's my footstool. God says, it's my footstool. Oh, the enormity of God. He has capacity, right? To handle all you have. Hebrews 1 says it like this, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining, sustaining all things by his powerful word. His word, at his word, he upholds the galaxies. This is who we pray to. This is our father in heaven. And listen, listen, as we close, let me just say this. Could it be, could it be that God would move among us in such a way to stir us, to be so dependent on him that whether it's success or suffering, we would cling to him. See, the temptation there is suffering tends to, people would abandon. Why God? And they abandon him instead of running to him. In success, you think you've got it all covered and so you have nothing to do with God. And would it be that in our comforts or rather our chaoses, either one, We would bring our praises and we would pray for perspective during the time of comfort, knowing that it won't always be like this. We're all headed to a box in one sense, right? Would it it be that God would be so kind that even in the chaos of life that we would cry out to him, we would bring all of our pleas and our praises to God in prayer. And listen, listen, I know it's, it's Christmas time, it's New Year's. You're like, let's do a New Year's sermon, right? And no, listen, let's, let's cling to God. Let's lean into God. Let's depend on him. Let's cry out to him. And God, listen, listen, God forbid, God forbid this year that the only way this place would be full on one of the five prayer nights, five this year, 365 days, five, at night, God forbid that it take 
two planes to fly into a building for it to be full. My 20 years providence here, one prayer night was standing room only. One prayer night was standing room only. That morning, two planes hit two towers in New York. One hit the Pentagon and one crashed in a field. It was packed. God forbid it take that to move us to pray when we have full access to God. Oh, on that night, on that night, you and I, could you imagine? All together, standing room only, some on their face, some on their knee, crying out to the living God. Our prayers mixed in with the angels singing, holy, holy, holy is God. Our prayers making it to the throne room of God because of our great high priest. Could you imagine that night? All of us clinging, leaning, praying to God without two planes. Oh, may it be so. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God, may it be so. May it be so. May he bring a great awakening. Oh, may he do it. With us on our face. In this place. Let's pray. Take a few minutes, if you would. Just a few minutes to pray on your own to God right now. Talk to Him. Father, you are a good, good Father. You are so kind. Your kindness has led us to repent trust you. God, I ask, I ask that you would stir our hearts. Help us, God, be a people cling to you. Help us to see the privilege we have to even talk to you. Thank you, God, for granting us access by not crushing us, but crushing your son. Instead, raising him victoriously from the grave. Thank you that he's gone before us. It's our great high priest. The veil's been torn. We can talk to you. So God, may this year be full. May it be full of praises and prayers and pleas to you. As we walk with you. We get this good news to the ends of the earth. See your son's face. Sooner than later. We pray in Jesus' name.